Welcome to Religion Unplugged Podcast. Uh, this is Paul Gladder, Executive Editor. And we had a last-minute invitation from the Archdiocese of Newark today to come and visit ahead of St. Patrick's Day. Um, a really interesting place in Bayonne, New Jersey, a place that I've often driven through on my way to the Holland Tunnel to New York City or ridden through on the trains and such, but I've never really been to. So I, I was excited to come and meet the historians of the church. So we have a couple of guests here today from the Archdiocese of Newark and the parish community here. So I'll let them introduce themselves before we start talking more about this particular building and what makes it special. I'm Peter O'Brien, and I'm a lifelong parishioner here at St. Vincent de Paul. Wonderful. So, well, tell us what makes this particular parish special and why it's worthy of attention ahead of St. Patrick's Day. In, in Bayonne, uh, over the years, there were eight Roman Catholic uh, parishes, and each uh, ethnic group had their own. We have Polish, uh, Ukrainian, Slovak, Italian, German, and the other territorial parishes end up being the, the Irish churches. Mm -hmm. And St. Vincent's is the northernmost one in town. Okay. So, and tell us a little bit of just how many people live in Bayonne and what's the kind of, how would you describe to a listener in India or Africa what this place is like in uh, terms of the... Bayonne, the population has fluctuated. It's probably somewhere close to 80,000 now, I believe. A blue-collar community. Uh, it moved from heavy industry, I think, to more of a residential community. Mm-hmm. I noticed like a Longshoreman's Union down the street. There is a container port which borders Jersey City and Bayonne, which is global. Mm-hmm. And that has been built up over the years. Mm-hmm. The lower end of Bayonne, where Texaco Oil used to be, is now going to be a movie studio. So that's in the process of being built right now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it definitely feels more sort of, like you said, blue collar working class. Yeah. Then yes. you look right across the river and there's skyscrapers and finance places. That's Manhattan and a little further directly across from us is Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. And we look the other way and we see what, the Newark airport? Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like a little island. It's a peninsula. A peninsula. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell us then about who goes to this parish? Is it Lar largely Irish? In the beginning, or? it was Irish, and then we had a large Italian population. There was a falling out with one of the Italian pastors many, many years ago. And uh, Father Dolan, who built this church, studied in Italy, was ordained in Genoa, sp spoke fluent Italian, so he welcomed them up here. So since I was growing up in the late, late 50s, early 60s, there was always a nice Italian-Irish mix, some Polish, uh, recently, uh, the immigrants we have now are Fil uh, Filipino, Central, South American uh -huh. are coming in. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Driving around Bayonne, you see all kinds of other churches and some old churches, and I noticed a lot of different languages on the signs and made me wonder, wow, the, the, the div religious diversity here is yes. quite rich. Yeah. Yes. We had a strong Jewish population for a long time, but most of those congregants have moved out of town. So there's only one synagogue left. All right. So, Peter, tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience uh, with this, uh, sure. well, in Bayonne and with this parish. And I've grown up here, in, born and bred in Bayonne. My family runs the funeral home, which is right across the street. 
And like we mentioned before, uh, we've been in business since 1891, and the parish was started somewhere around there. On South Center Street, there's a small wooden church. Then a second church was, was built in the location where this one is. After a number of years, they realized it was not big enough, and then Father Dolan decided to build the present church that we have now. And that was in 1927, that was begun. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, to, to those who are listening, maybe you can go to our website and see the photos that we have with the text version of the story. But uh, uh, Peter made an interesting comment when we walked in and heard the, heard the organ music and looked around. And I was just uh, impressed by the, you know, the freshness of the paint and the quality of the upkeep in the church. And he made a comment of, about that. Uh, for, you know. Sure, there was a designer who came in from New York along with someone from the Archdiocese a number of years ago, and he said it's like a well-preserved Fabergé egg. Yeah. And we're constantly trying to keep up with the building. It's almost 100 years old, so it's hard, but we take pride in it. Yeah, well, it is beautiful. And tell us um, tell us about the, the windows. In particular. Well, I think before I do, just a little bit of background. Yeah, and history. When Father Dolan wanted to build a new church, being Irish, he contacted a architect, Charles McGinnis, out of Boston. Charles McGinnis is the one who was the architect for the National Shrine in Washington, D.C., as well as the high altar and the front doors of St. Pat's in New York City. He very much steeped in the uh, Romanesque style of, of churches, which we have here now. In the early 20s, when Father was thinking about building a church, St. Henry's was only built a number of years ago, and that was only about 15 blocks to the south of us, and that was done in a Gothic style. Hmm. And he said the last thing he wanted to do was build another Gothic church so close to one that was already there, which is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, in a big sort of a cross medieval uh, layout. So he decided to go the studying in Italy, he was very familiar with the Romanesque style, and he decided that's what he wanted his new church to look like. So he and Charles McGinnis sat down, started the design work, and then they started talking about windows. Interesting story, because we found the correspondence between them. Charles McGinnis had no idea who Harry Clark was, so we said, let's put Harry in competition with some of the other stained glass artists that I know. One of them was Charles Connick out of Boston, a very famous uh, stained glass maker. In the meantime, the architect does some research, checks out the windows of Harry Clark and is blown away by what he sees, comes back and says, I've changed my mind. We're not going to go in competition. I'd be proud to have his windows in any one of my churches. Hmm. So then Harry, the pastor and the architect started designing the windows. Because of the Romanesque style, because the very narrow openings, you have to do things differently than if you had very large openings. So Monsignor's idea, well, his father at the time, he wanted to do what was called the genius of the Mass. Mm -hmm. I said it's more of the genesis of the Mass, because each of the panels in the nave has an Old Testament figure or story paralleled with a New Testament story. Mm -hmm. And what the Old Testaments are all the different... Uh, occurrences of sacrifice. And then what the, they did is they found scripture passages that matched the New Testament and a priest saying Mass. Mm-hmm. The sacrifice from the Hebrew scriptures now becomes the sacrifice of the Mass in the Christian 
scriptures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little more then. So they decided to go with Clark. And they, okay, and they realized they would not have the money to do all the windows at once, but the pastor was adamant. He said, I don't want a piecemeal approach. So when they talked to Harry, they said, we want you to design the windows, but we want you to design all the windows in the church, even though we can't have them created exactly at the same time. Mm-hmm. So when we go in, I'll show you the original windows that went in when the church was constructed. And then afterwards, piece by piece, the windows were done. But if you look, there's a unified artistic style to them because Harry designed all of them. Mm-hmm. Richard King was another stained glass artist who was working with Harry in his workshop and became very technically uh, acute, producing Harry's style. So once Harry died, uh, Richard Clark was able to continue with the cartoons that Harry had drawn hmm. and to create the windows that we have. Yeah, so I read something on, on about Harry Clark, that he had a young life and he had some yes. illnesses or something, is that right? He had emphysema and died in the early 30s. Uh-huh. So he didn't quite, he, he, at what stage did he die uh, when this was in process? The original windows were installed and he was in the process of designing and creating the, the next set of windows mm-hmm. before he died. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, you know, stained glass, it seems like you know, the word master, or, you know, he was kind of a master of that kind of craft. Of his, how... of his style. Hmm. Because before doing windows, his family, Jeremiah Clark was his father, did church decorating from painting and statues and things like that. Harry is the one that got into windows. But before that, he was a book illustrator as well as a fabric designer. Mm-hmm. So he did some books uh, by Hans Christian Andersen, some of the stories, the tales. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. he illustrated some of his books. So there's a little bit of a macabre side that you will see in some of the, the windows. And yeah. he takes his great attention to detail as he moves into creating windows. Mm-hmm. Each, the fabric and the garments of the, the vestments, you'll see there's not just a solid color, but this intricacy of the lace and the other patterns that you will see. Mm-hmm. It was done in the 20s, so you will pick up a, a little hint of art deco style mm-hmm. when the windows were done. It was done post-famine. Mm-hmm. So in the post-famine, the artwork of, I, of Irish, especially Harry's, they're very long, gaunt figures. It's not the Italian Renaissance where everyone is very round-looking mm-hmm. that you'll see in most windows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Irish aspect of this, you know, and, and the St. Patrick timing of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, it's, it's, it's so many, I think, American, uh, Americans forget the religious meaning of St. Patrick's Day. And, yes. You know, even in New York City, you've got the parades and you've got kind of drunken bacchanalia. Yeah. You, know, yes. you know, the emergency rooms are full of people <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day. Um, so, uh, how, you know, what, what meaning does... Um, does Harry Clark's work have to that holiday? Well, I think because the pastor was you know, very Irish, traveled Ireland a lot, he wanted to bring a piece of Ireland back here to the U.S. And he thought one of the best ways is through artwork. And Harry, being an Irish stained glass artist, he said, this will be perfect. Because at that time, there were no other churches in North America with his windows. So we were the first. Hmm. Subsequently, there's one or two churches that have windows that were done by the studio, 
of Harry Clark, but not done by his hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is a window in the museum in Miami. It's more of an arts and crafts museum that has one of his windows also, but it's not a uh, liturgical or religious window. Mm -hmm. It's the Eve of St. Agnes, mm -hmm. I, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least one of the windows features the name of St. Patrick. Right? Yes, it does, which, yeah. which I will show you. Also uniquely is any of the priests or deacons that are pictured in the windows are historic figures. So when you look at them, you can reference who the bishop was, who the, the priest was in the history of the diocese, as well as the parish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, anything else that's you know unusual or not typical of these sets of windows or the way he did the windows versus others? It's so. his unique art style. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a number of books that have been written about his work, and our church is in them. And one of the recent ones by Lucy Costigan called Hid uh, Dark Beauty, The Hidden Details in Harry Clark Windows. So she goes through Ireland, but she takes our windows also, and I sent some of the images over to her of some of the very minute details when you start looking at it. Mm -hmm. Which I, When we go into church, I'll, I'll point them out to you. Okay, great. Um, we came to the, walked through the parking lot behind, and yes. saw that there's a school connected to the parish. And yes. It looks like some broken windows. Yes. I don't know, in my mind, I was wondering, you know, what's happened to the school? And also, if people are vandalizing windows there, uh, yeah. what's the security like for these, price, you know, masterpieces? When I was growing up, each of the Catholic churches in Bayonne had their own school. And one by one, they closed. Now there's a single uh, school called All Saints Academy that takes all the Catholic K-8 to in the city. We're in the process of trying to sell the school, but I guess a blessing as well as a curse is when the church was originally built, the main nave windows were not installed yet. So there is a frosted glass, which was in the church before the stained glass was added. So that has become like a protective glass. Problem for the south side of the building, because there's no ventilation between the, the outside glass and the stained glass, the heat builds up and the lead, which is very soft, can cause the windows to start to warp a, a little bit. Mm. They're not in terrible shape, but there's some that could use some attention. Pre-air conditioning, they had hopper windows where the lower windows of all of them would open up for air. Well, opening and slamming them closed over time is not the greatest for stained glass. So since the church was air conditioned, those windows, they, they don't open anymore. Mm. Okay. And it, when you said trying to sell the school, you mean this building, not the All Saints, right? No, All right. Saints is still doing very well. Yeah. But one by one, the different parish uh, schools have been sold mm. off. Yeah, probably could be a nice apartment building or something. Or there. that's what the one builder was talking about doing, mm. okay. converting it to condo units. Mm -hmm. So St. Patrick's Day... What's it like in, in Bayonne? Is it a you know, special holiday? Is there a parade here? Yes. Um, are there events at this parish or others? Or uh, do people go to New York? or what it, it, has city? it has changed over the years, but it always was a big celebration. There would be a St. Patrick's Day parade, and then they would choose one of the various parishes in the city to host the, the mass, either prior or, or after the, the parade took place. And... We have a Filipino pastor with a Colombian associate. Huh. St. Henry's has two Filipino uh, priests that are down there. So a lot of the Irish, as far as the clergy is concerned, has, has really changed. But people from the parish still participate in this St. This Patrick's Day parade, which is more a city parade 
and it's not sponsored by a particular parish. Hmm. So, so that's kind of interesting too to hear about Filipino priests in this parish. Yes. Is, yeah. And talk about you know ethnicity and 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 how that how it works. Is there a nice blending or in what types of how does it in terms of uh, food events or cultural <laughs> events? Again, a lot of the immigrants are first generation, their children or the second generation now growing up here. So there is a little bit of shift as the younger ones become more Americanized. Uh, the parish tries to be, you know, we're definitely not Irish anymore, but very welcoming to the Filipino and the Hispanic community that are here. We have a number of people that are Castilian Spanish from, from Spain. Mm -hmm. And they have their own religious observances that we like to participate in. Uh, our Lady of Guadalupe is very big. And hmm. they have a special mass here that they do up. Hmm. And some of the F Filipino saints, they will do the uh, Zabangabi, don't ask me how to spell it, which is an eight-day novena before Christmas, which is very big among the Filipinos. And they will have that here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your sense is someone who's, you know, grown up in in this place and known this church a long time and you, your family's business is across the street, a funeral home. Yes. Um, uh, what's your sense in the health of the Catholic community uh, here and, and where it stands and where it's coming from, where it's going? We have merged a number of the smaller ethnic churches, like they have closed St. Joe's, which was Slovak. They closed St. Michael's, which was Lithuanian. Assumption has been closed also, which is the Italian, and they have merged into more regional parishes. So Mount Carmel, which is the Polish parish now, houses uh, what was St. Joe's, St. Michael's, and Assumption population. Hmm. Two Irish churches that combine St. Mary's and St. Andrew's in the lower part of Bayonne are now one is Blessed Miriam Teresa hmm. with two worship sites. Hmm. And right now, the two standalones are St. Henry's and St. Vincent's. Yeah, driving around, and, and I'm just, uh, it kind of reminded me of Pittsburgh, the place I lived, and just the different, mm -hmm. you know, the history of the steel mills, and you know, the yes. Slovaks, and different, you know, all kinds of different ethnic little enclaves. Yeah, so, okay, so you basically decide to knock one down and sold, move to Sold them. off the property, uh -huh. and depending on who was buying it, they would determine what they were going to do with it. Okay. But really, as far as Slovak and Lithuanian, there's no population left. Hmm. The Italians go to... Would well, the services at those uh, parishes be in their language? No. No. The only Originally. one that does... Well, we do some Spanish Mass. Now, there's a Spanish Mass in St. Vincent's and in St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Mount Carmel, which is the Polish parish, has one Mass in Polish. Everyone else is really American-speaking mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. and, and so the ones that were knocked down, then did they just decide to then attend whoever was still yes. part of the parish would just attend the other yes. one that remained. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. The biggest employer years ago was Standard Oil of New Jersey, which then became Exxon. Mm -hmm. They had an oil refinery down on the hook as well as God knows how many hundreds of oil tanks. Mm. So a lot of the population that came here originally was to work in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. And what's it now, the economy and, and sort of work and employers uh, uh, for it's people who live here? Bedroom community for those who are working in New York City. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the movie studio is under construction now, so I'm quite sure that will be a big employer of local businesses. When we say studio, we mean right that New Jersey's trying to make more movies and TV film yes. stuff. And this is and I, is this the one of the big yes. this yeah. is gonna be I think it's called eighteen eighty eight. You can look it up. Mm -hmm. I think that may be in the year that Edison developed the moving picture. Mm. So where the Texaco they didn't have a refiner, but all the oil tanks, huge piece of land that's being developed into the movie studio. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very cool. Anything else that uh, you wanted to tell us about the windows or the church or the community that we didn't get to cover yet? Or There's just there's a lot to see. Yeah. And at viewing it, you may have questions. We did walking tours, Priscilla and myself. Priscilla Eagy is our parish historian. Mm -hmm. And we put booklets. I have copies of them in the back. It's One is the art and architecture of the church. We do exterior and interior and then one just on the windows of the church. How often do you offer those? We haven't, we did it and then COVID happened. We haven't done it since. Sometimes we bring groups in and we do a PowerPoint where we can highlight different parts of the church. Mm -hmm. Are these the community groups from Bayonne or visitors for, you know, mainly events in the mainly city? We advertise it through the city, but we've had a number of people who have gone out of the cruise port in Bayonne, Royal Caribbean, celebrity. I'll go out of Bayonne now. Mm. Some of them know about the windows and before they board their cruises have come ringing the doorbell. Can can we take a look? Mm -hmm. And we, you know, as you know, if I'm not working or Priscilla's not, we can come by, let them in and show them around. And do they, you know, is that is that um, um, is that something that makes some money for the church? A no. little little bit no. of money or, no. or just helps just Introduce the church to the to the world. Mm -hmm. It isn't done as a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And the and what's the you know attendance roughly? I don't know. Here? You don't know. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sean, you could look up those numbers. Yeah, I Cause, believe because so. because each quarter they have to hand in what the attendance is. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the 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 last thing that you know when I when I got the email from Sean and and saw the images. It's interesting how the green that comes through. And so, okay, you know. that little backstory. Harry was very influenced going to Chartres and Notre Dame in France when he was young and was oppressed by what we call jewel tones, the very vibrant colors, red, green, blue. Some windows you see are very pastel in style. He wanted those very bold colors. Hmm. Our old historian who died many, many years ago was in Ireland, visited the studio, and he actually got to witness some of the glass being thrown out because it wasn't at a quality that Harry wanted to use. Hmm. So you get the, the pieces of glass and then determine what you can use. The cartoon is created, then they lay the cartoon out and they start cutting the piece of glass to match the cartoon, leaving a space for the lead caning that goes between the pieces. And then after all the pieces are cut, that's when they actually start to solder and put all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, the word cartoon, and you wonder, you know, for its time, like right now, kids are enamored with YouTube or yes. you know, TikTok or whatever. And then, but uh, for its time, you know, what did that mean to people just to see those images on the, on the, in, in, in the stained glass? Window? It was the actual drawing of what the window would look like. Mm -hmm. And in the Trinity archives in Trinity uh, College in Dublin, they have a number of his cartoons because they were considered also part of the artwork of his 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 designs. 
I can send you an image. I have a cartoon of one of the app's windows along with a color scheme. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's fascinating. So it's almost like a you know, touch of Ireland here in, oh, yeah. in just outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, and also a lot of different areas. The altar and altar rail are Algerian onyx. Hmm. It was a quarry that the Roman used, and right after the Roman Empire fell, it went into disuse, was only rediscovered in the early 1900s, and they began to quarry once again. It's a very beautiful onyx, which is slightly different from marble. It's translucent, so some light will go through. Uh, different parts of Italy is where the other marble came from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> one last question uh, for you, Peter, is you know, that those listeners who might be from other faith traditions, like especially Pro some Protestant yep. traditions, don't understand, well, why do Orthodox or Catholic uh, uh, people of faith care so much about you know, the aesthetics or the art and um, I'm just curious to hear your take of why, here in a working class town like Bayonne, why does it matter um, to, to parishioners and, and leaders of the churches over the time to build this kind of quality of materials and artists? I, I think the immigrants were very proud of their heritage and they wanted to build a church that they could be proud of. And they saw other churches in the area where those ethnic groups were pouring in their heart, soul, and money into making something very beautiful. So I think the original uh, parishioners that built the church were very much, they wanted the best. And thank God the architect as well as the pastor had a very fine artistic sense. And so they went around different parts of the world getting the marble that they wanted for the particular look that they were gonna have. Mm. And this is so the, and this was built by the donations largely yes. of oh, oh, absolutely 100% the working men and women. They had a huge mortgage burning party in what was the roller rink of the time, which then became a pool, which is now the uh, Egyptian Coptic church. Mm. And they had, it must have been thousands of people. And it was the mortgage burning when they finally paid off the, the building of the church. Mm -hmm. But when I show you the app's windows, one of the app's windows at the time was $125, hmm. which seems exorbitant. The nave windows, each pair of those windows was like something around $250. Hmm. So to economics of like how much this costs, this project, and, and those dollars, today's dollars, right. and what it's worth now in ballparks? Or... It would be millions mm -hmm. if you went to build this right now and had a quarry, all of that, that stone. Mm -hmm. Another local artist, Rambush, which has been in business for a long time, they did the Stations of the Cross, which is a reprose. It's hammered from the back to design them. They also did all the lighting fixtures in the church. Wonderful. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Also, I think it's a beautiful collection of Hebrew figures as well as the Christian ones. Yeah. When you go around and you see all the Hebrew pictures, I don't know if I mentioned to you or someone else, we had a young rabbi who was here, was all excited to bring his congregation huh. to see the windows. COVID hit. After COVID, he was transferred, so it never happened. Oh, that was so, someone from Bayonne. Yeah, yeah, from Bayonne. So again, we'd be very open to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's, so we had a lot of uh, some interfaith interest in yeah. the artwork. Because we are Judeo-Christians, our our Catholic Christians, our history is in Judaism. Mm -hmm. And so to understand it is important. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thanks for giving some of this background context before we go take a look at the windows and 
we'll end our interview here and let the readers uh, take a look at some of the, the photos of the windows on, on the story on our website, religionunplugged.com.